Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Coming up, why sorry isn't always enough. As the head of Chicago's largest police union walks back his comments to WBEZ about last week's attack on the U.S. Capitol, John Cadenzara is still sticking to his narrative that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. Stick around for that. But first, an FBI report warned of, quote, war at the U.S. Capitol ahead of last Wednesday's events. That's according to reports by The Washington Post. That narrative is in direct conflict with earlier claims that there was no warning that the pro-Trump rally could become violent. Now local, state and federal agencies are bracing for more armed protests at all 50 state capitals in the days leading up to Joe Biden's inauguration on January 20th. For more on this, we are joined by David Goldenberg. He's the Midwest Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League. David, welcome back to Reset. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Sasha. I want to get your reaction, David, to Wednesday's attack on the U.S. Capitol. How did this unfold from your perspective? Well, let's be clear from the get-go. What happened on January 6th last week was the most predictable terrorist attack um, that I would say in modern U.S. history. Um, We can't let the days that are leading up to inauguration sort of repeat what occurred last week. At the end of the day, Those who participated in the attempted coup and the violence that we saw in Washington, D.C., were telegraphing what their plans were and what their intentions and what their hopes were for not just days or weeks, but actually months. And we can't pretend that we didn't know it was coming because people put their their heads in the sand. At the end of the day, extremists were telling us exactly what they were going to be doing. ADL was, was waving our arms and raising concerns. We were meeting with people as early as September of last year of law enforcement and others and doing briefings about the potential of violence like this that could occur in the days following the election all the way through inauguration based on what we were seeing from extremists online. So you said you were waving your arms, raising concerns. Like what types of things were you telling them? We were seeing extremists who were posting on not just sort of those extremists, you know, the platforms that you expect extremists to go to, like Parler and Telegram and Gab and others like that, but they were posting on Twitter, they were posting on Facebook, pushing conspiracy theories, and ultimately immediately after the election, talking about it's time that we need to raise arms, it's time for us to take our country back. So we saw those types of conspiracies play out, but they wasn't just pushing conspiracy theories, but it was pushing, let's take action, let's show up in Washington, D.C., bring arms. And we were seeing these types of things that were popping up. Uh, We were reporting these types of things, and others were as well. And we ultimately saw that in many cases, extremists did exactly what it was that they said they were going to do or try to do. And I want to make sure I I mentioned, David, for some of our our listeners, you are with ADL Midwest. That's the Anti-Defamation League. The Midwest Regional uh, section is is where you you operate. Yep. Talk more about some of those hate groups that we're seeing at these pro-Trump rallies. How can they be identified? 
So there are the groups that many by this point, of many of your listeners have heard of, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, um, the Three Percenters. There are other groups that are out there. But one of the things that I think is really important to point out is that even in situations where we haven't seen a direct, credible, sort of violent threat, what you have is at these protests, and you saw them, by the way, last spring at the stay-at-home protests that we had here in Chicago and down in Springfield and state capitals around the country. Mm-hmm. You saw them again um, in some of the aftermath of the George Floyd murders um, of these different militia groups that kind of took up arms to, quote-unquote, protect cities, people like Kyle Rittenhouse and others. And then we saw them again last week in the Capitol. So you have these sort of known extremist groups, the groups like the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, and others, who are sending contingencies to these protests. But then you find them mingling with what we could say is average citizens who are just upset and who are there for a protest. And when you have those with violent tendencies and violent capabilities interacting with the broader public, you have even greater threats and the threat of violence and action um, becomes even greater. So when we look at things like the threats about um, these protests in state capitals next week on the 17th and then the, you know, this militia march on Washington on Inauguration Day on January 20th, we have to take them quite seriously um, yeah. because what we have seen in the past is that these situations are ripe for violence. And in this particular case, we're seeing people who are making threats online and saying, and we've now seen as a result of last week, and how they can take those threats online and turn them into real-life violence and action. Now, I'm familiar with the Proud Boys, but not the Three Percenters. What, what is that? So the Three Percenters, and there is a presence of the Three Percenters, in particularly down near Springfield and downstate. This is a hate group who believes that, um, and this is has a wrongful belief, but this 3% of the colonialists fought the Revolutionary War to achieve freedom for all of our country um, back in 1776 and, and, and before then. And so they believe that they're the 3% of the population who's going to save the, the world, save the United States. Not all Trump supporters belong to extremist groups. On Wednesday, for example, we saw people who identified themselves as protesters, and they were marching alongside white supremacists or proud boys with guns. Talk about the mob mentality that takes over in these high-pressure situations. I think you just hit on a really, really important point. The reality is, is in many cases, the majority of people who are participating in these protests are not what we would consider to be card-carrying members of extremists and hate groups. But they are influenced them online, influenced by them online, and then become even more influenced um, by them when they're in that moment, um, which is why we are deeply concerned that the events of next week, if they actually occur, could certainly turn violent once again. Now, we saw videos of police officers taking selfies with the rioters, right, helping them through barriers, yep. some of them even giving them directions you know, throughout the Capitol building. Is there any concern about white supremacy and extremist groups infiltrating law enforcement agencies? Well, let me first start by saying this. ADL has called for a full investigation into how and why protesters and rioters were allowed to breach the Capitol in the way that they did and why you saw 
such a limited presence of law enforcement last week in Washington, and especially when you juxtapose that with the incredible presence and intimidation that you saw directed toward Black Lives Matter protesters back in June, that is deeply problematic and continues to get at sort of the double standard law enforcement practices that we've seen play out over the last year, but those who live in colored communities can talk about it for centuries. Specifically, as it relates to your question about the infiltration of law enforcement um, and the military by white supremacists and extremists, we know that there is a fact that groups like the Proud Boys and others target law enforcement and target members of the military to recruit and bring them into their fold. We know that that has occurred in the past. We know that it is part of their active recruitment strategy. And so we have to be deeply concerned about it. We believe that law enforcement has to be well aware of what their officers are, are doing. It doesn't mean that people don't have First Amendment rights and they can have their own views and feelings. But what we saw last week in the Capitol by some members of law enforcement um, should be deeply concerning for all of us. Well, something else that's, that's concerning is Inauguration Day. That's coming up next week. A lot of folks wondering what's going to happen. What should law enforcement agencies be doing to prepare in the days leading up to the inauguration? Absolutely. And let's put even a finer point on what people are concerned about. ADL, literally just an hour ago, released a new survey that showed that three-quarters of Americans are concerned about violent domestic extremism. Two-thirds of them believe that the president and white supremacist far-right and militia groups are at least somewhat responsible for the violence that occurred last week. And so we're seeing a ramp and an uptick in the rhetoric on social media sites that are being pushed by these right-wing extremists um, who are pushing conspiracy theories, continuing to push conspiracy theories that the election was stolen. We're seeing it from a number of members of Congress, um, including a couple here in Illinois and states around Illinois. And so what law enforcement has to realize is that this is a real threat. And so what you have to do from a law enforcement perspective is, number one, you make sure you have a large enough presence an overwhelming presence in many ways to serve as a deterrent and also to have the capability to take action if necessary. Policymakers need to understand that this is a very real thing, and they need to understand the role that they played, Mm -hmm. not all but some, in encouraging and igniting and inciting this mob that attempted a coup last week in Washington, D.C., because they're threatening to have these types of marches around the country. And states need to be prepared, and local elected officials need to be prepared, and they need to be coordinated, too. Well, we'll have to leave it there. That's ADL Midwest Regional Director David Goldenberg. David, thanks so much for breaking that down for us. Thanks for having me. John Catanzara leads the Fraternal Order of Police. So he represents about 12,000 rank-and-file officers in the city. On Wednesday evening, just hours after the Capitol siege, Catanzara had this to say in an interview with WBEZ. There was no arson. There was no burning of anything, no looting. There was very little destruction of property. It was a bunch of pissed-off people that feel that election was stolen somehow, some way. They pushed past security and made their way to the Senate chamber. Did they destroy anything when they were there? No. Very different than what happened all across this country all summer long in Democratic-ran cities, and nobody had a problem with that. They were all blaming the police and the police's response to the violence, looting, and criminal behavior. If the worst crime here is trespassing, so be it. 
But to call these people treasonous is beyond ridiculous and ignorant. On Friday, he walked back those comments, saying he did not condone the violence committed in D.C. and felt differently after he saw more footage of the insurrection. But many people aren't satisfied with his apology. Joining me now is WBEZ criminal justice reporter Chip Mitchell. Hey, Chip. Good morning, Sasha. Also with us is Crane Chicago business political reporter A.D. Quigg. Welcome back, A.D. Thanks for having me. Chip, I'll start with you. Remind us who John Cananzara is, particularly his rise to power in Chicago's police union. Well, he's a he's a veteran patrol officer. He had a long disciplinary history uh, long before, you know, a lot of rank and filers in the Chicago Police Department ever heard of him. Um, uh, there were two different superintendents actually that tried to fire him. Nearly all of these uh, these complaints against him, these beasts, as they call them, were mm-hmm. had to do with personnel violations. When he really made his name, though, Sasha, was in 2017. This is right after Trump took office. Um, He posted a photo of himself on Facebook dressed in his police uniform and holding a U.S. flag and a hand-lettered placard. It said, I stand for the anthem. I love the American flag. I support my president and the Second Amendment. Now, of course, police officers are, are not supposed to be taking political stance uh, mm-hmm. uh, in uniform, you know, in front of a squad car. And so he was disciplined for that with a letter of uh, reprimand, a light discipline. But what that did is that really catapulted him into a hero of many rank and file officers who are also, by the way, Trump supporters, just like he is. So a couple years later, 2018, he starts campaigning to become president of Lodge 7. This is the, 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 the section of the Fraternal Order of Police that represents about 12,000 rank-and-file Chicago cops. These are mostly patrol officers and detectives, and then thousands of retirees also. And he put together a large slate. It was a slate of well-placed officers, um, included a lot of current officers in the lodge. Mm-hmm. And he did well in the uh, first round. And, uh, uh, and then he did in the second round in a runoff with the, incub- in the incumbent, Kevin Graham, um, another big supporter of President Trump. Katanzara got more than 4,700 votes, and that was 55%, It w- and it was plenty to win the election. Hmm. Now, A.D., this current drama, this all started with Katanzara seeming to support the rioters, which that also came on the heels of some racist social media posts that came to light in December, right? Right. So Katanzara has been named in complaints about racial or ethnic targeted verbal abuse, having bigoted views. Uh, making hostile remarks against Muslims, sexist remarks about women. We learned in December he faces possible firing from the Chicago Police Department for those social media posts. The head of COPA, one of the police oversight agencies in Chicago, recommended he be fired, but Superintendent Brown said he should be suspended for a year. So now it's kind of up to the police board. But this is just on top of a 10-year of kind of controversies with Captain Zara and Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the city council um, that have kind of come to a head in this. Uh, and now 30, 35 aldermen and a lot of uh, labor and religious leaders are calling for him to step down from the FOP. So the city council resolution calls on Kedanzara to, to voluntarily step down. Can you walk us through what actual process would need to take place to remove him from his position, Chip? Well, the aldermen who put this resolution together did some homework, obviously, because, you know, calling on him to resign because it's far from clear the city could do anything to actually remove Katanzara. And, and it makes some sense, you know, that the city and the police department is management and Katanzara um, is president of a union and management doesn't generally get to choose who leads a union. 
So in Catanzara's case, you know, I've looked over the bylaws and constitution of the of Lodge 7 of the FOP, and there, there are rules. You have to be an active member or pensioner to, to serve in this office. But the board of it also this these documents also give the board of directors the ability to extend someone's membership. So this would you know probably come into play if if Kat and yeah. Zara were fired, for example, in this case of you know where he's uh, you know these social media posts he's referring to Muslims as savages and so on. Now I will say also that if there were opposition within the membership among trustees and board members, fellow officers of the Fraternal Order of Police. There are provisions to remove the president, but here Kat and Zara holds all the levers, and and this mm-hmm. is why it's very uh, almost unprecedented for sitting presidents of the lodge to be removed. He appoints a three-person committee that would hear the evidence and then make recommendations to the board, which consists mainly of his supporters. So it's very unlikely that he would lose his grip of the presidency internally, Sasha. Now, Cadenzara walked back his comments, but the outcry does continue. With me to talk about this story are WBEZ criminal justice reporter Chip Mitchell and A.D. Quigg, politics and government reporter with Crane's Chicago Business. Now, coming up in about five minutes here on Reset, from the FOP to the GOP, we're going to talk to the Republican leader in the Illinois House, Jim Durkin, about why he says he's the best candidate to replace House Speaker Michael Madigan, who suspended his campaign yesterday. So stick around for that conversation. Now, I want to take a listen to another clip from your interview, Chip, with uh, with Katanzara after this Capitol siege last week, where he says this was not an insurrection. Do I support the frustration? Listen, I, I, I don't have any doubt that something shady happened in this election. You're not going to convince me that that many people voted for Joe Biden. Never for the rest of my life we ever convince me of that. But it still comes down to proof. You can't prove it. You can't prove it. Move on. But again, it's an inconvenience at this point is all it is. This is not some mass insurrection coup attempt. They're not destroying or burning down the freaking Capitol building. This hyperbole and this emotion that the media is spewing now, like this is some kind of end of time scenario, is ridiculous. So there he he admits, you know, quote, something shady happened in the election, unquote. Uh, He's denying that this was a coup attempt. He says this is just, you know, hyperbole from the media. A couple days later, though, after you interviewed him, Chip, he apologized for those statements. What did he say? Yeah, his apology, it was addressed to the Lodge 7 members. It was posted on the Lodge's Facebook page. um, And he said his statements were poorly worded. You know, I interviewed him at, at, at around 6 p.m. the evening after the rioting, and he, and he said his statements would have been different if he had seen more video of the Capitol assault. This is a quote. I brought negative attention to our lodge, the FOP family, and law enforcement in general. For that, he was sorry. Now, it's interesting that his apology did not address at all his false claim that mm-hmm. the election was stolen from Trump. And Katanzara also was... Uh, criticized in a statement from the Grand Lodge. This is the national level of the Fraternal Order of Police, which is very unusual. That censure also did not address the claim that the election was stolen from Trump. So here we have a police union at the national level. They endorsed yeah. Trump in 2016 and 2020, and they're not they're not backing down on that. AD, I want to turn back to you for a moment. So we've talked about the aldermen, the, the labor leaders, even 
Mayor Lightfoot, uh, you know, who's added to the backlash here. What other political responses have we seen locally? Anything from Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox? Yes, Kim Fox also chimed in, another frequent kind of opponent to Kat and Zara. I think we will continue to see kind of pushback to this, especially this is a surprising statement, especially because so many officers were injured in the assault, use of mace, use of bats, flagpoles, metal pipes. And as we get closer, if we get closer to a potential um, contract agreement between the city and the FOP, I think a lot of people will return to not only what Kat and Sarah said on social media, but this similar attack as well. Kim Fox is only one of several who, who spoke out. And I think every time we hear from Kat and Zara from now on, there will be a reminder of uh, what he said and didn't say in the wake of this attack. Kat and Zara is already facing potential discipline due to racist social media posts that he made recently. The Civilian Office of Police Accountability recommended he be fired, while Superintendent David Brown suggested a one-year suspension. And now it's in the hands of the Chicago Police Board. Do we know when that decision could come down? And and what's next for Catanzara? This is now in the hands of the police board. And I do not have the time frame. I don't know that they've announced a time frame. But, uh, it, you know, it could take weeks, if not months, for this to get resolved. But again, he could get fired or he could get a long suspension. And I, I don't think that this is going to uh, have a big effect on whether he continues as uh, the FOP president. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to mention, Sasha, which is that he remains very popular among the rank and file of Chicago police officers. I know this because I've been talking to them over the last couple of days. They are sticking in large part, the white officers are sticking with him, not only because he's an outspoken Trump supporter, but just because he's outspoken in general. They don't want a a mild-mannered president. They want somebody who's going to take it to the mayor, and they want that contract negotiated. They want to get their retroactive paycheck. What I've heard is that, in large part, the white officers, although they think he made a political error with his statements supporting these Capitol rioters, they're sticking with him. And it's black officers who are most against him and who are most aghast. Um, but really, that doesn't really change. That's basically, a, a, you know, a continuation of the power dynamics in the union. Mm-hmm. Not surprising either. Well, thank you. That's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Chip Mitchell, also with us, A.D. Quigg with Crane's Chicago Business. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. For the latest and most accurate news on the fallout from the riot at the Capitol last week, tune to 91.5 WBEZ or go to WBEZ.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening to Reset, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.